Hey, Kingsway family. Uh, welcome to our final uh, service, our final online service uh, for this year. I know that there's a couple of weekends yet, uh, actually one more weekend yet this year, but we're going to be doing a bunch of uh, uh, outdoor services uh, next week, and so there won't be an online uh, service next weekend. And then we're actually not going to be back until uh, January the uh, the 8th and 9th. Uh, that'll be, be when we're back online with you once again. Uh, but I'd encourage you in, in, this, in this season uh, to take some opportunities to get together with family or maybe it's with friends and to to intentionally just speak about Jesus and the reason uh, for Christmas, the reason for the celebration that we have. Uh, that you would maybe take some time to pray together. And just because there's no service online doesn't mean you can't uh, be the church and gather together in, in smaller groups and uh, study the word together. Just, you know, open scripture to a portion and say, hey, let's just, let's just go over Psalm 91 or, or let's just go over the account of, of Jesus or let, let's go over Acts chapter 2 or, or whatever it may be. But to, uh, to just take some time uh, being intentional about being the church. What a great, great opportunity to, uh, to do that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, today, we just want to take a look at uh, the, 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 the Christmas story uh, from, uh, from another perspective again. Last week, we talked about how Jesus came to be not only Savior, but King as well. The new King in town, the new Master, the new Lord, uh, and He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if, if, you, if you didn't have a chance to listen to last week, uh, I'd really encourage you to, um, and I, ho- I hope it's a blessing to you. Today, we want to take a look at, uh, at the... the Luke's account of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, uh, Luke was not an eyewitness, but he made sure that he got eyewitness accounts and, you know, I think probably got most of the details uh, that we share today from, from Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. And uh, before, you know, before we look at that, uh, as I thought, you know, about this, this message and what do, what do we share with the church, uh, kind of, on the, you know, as the finale of this, of this year, and I was just simply reminded of, of, of a phrase that Paul used just as he was writing to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he mentions this, this short phrase, the, the, the simplicity of Christ. You know, don't abandon or don't, don't get away from the simplicity that's in Christ. He was actually challenging um, some, some false teachers that had come in and said, oh, you know, this gospel's too simple and, you know, the, the smart people wouldn't believe such things. And, and, and Paul was like, yeah, he challenged them, and, uh, but he embraced the simplicity that's in Christ. And, and I want to look at that today uh, as well. And so I want to take a look in, in uh, Luke. So if you go to Luke chapter two, and as, as I began to read the words of the Christmas story, you know, there were shepherds in the fields that night. This, this voice came in my head and uh, it wasn't the, it wasn't, it wasn't my voice. It wasn't the voice of the Lord. Uh, it wasn't the voice of the devil. It was, it was, uh, it was a voice of Linus. And I was just reminded of that, that cute uh, Christmas pageant story told by the uh, characters from Peanuts. And so uh, to start today, I just want to take a, take a quick listen to the words, uh, to the words of Scripture through the, vo- through the voice of Linus. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, there's just something nostalgic about that for, uh, for those of us old enough to have watched it way, way back when. Uh, but, you know, those words, the, the real meaning of Christmas, you know, in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, you hear the angel's response to the shepherds. And, and he says, don't be afraid. He says to them, I, what, he says, I bring you what good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news that will bring great joy to all people. Yes, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, like we talked about last week, has been born in Bethlehem. And then in verse 12, he says to the, to the shepherds, and you will recognize. You will recognize him. You will find him. It wasn't just this, this message that's going to bring great joy to the whole world, but there was something personal about it for them. And, and that's what we see. You know, there was this, this great joy for the whole world, for all people. See, I think there's a simplicity in the gospel when we realize that it is for all people, all nations, all people groups. And uh, the word actually uh, is, is translated individually and collectively. So, so it's collectively for the world, but it's individually as well. It's not this good news of great joy wasn't just for all blanket statement. Well, everyone, it's for you and it, it's for me and it's for my neighbor and and uh, the shepherds, you know, they, when they first heard this news, they realized that it, it included them. The, these are the guys that, you know, realize it wasn't just a message for the rich. It wasn't just for the powerful. It wasn't just for the wise or the most smartest. It was for everyone, including them. Not just the holy people or the pure and clean people. It was for, it was for everyone. God had done something for them. Uh, he had also done something for the whole world, but for them, this, this individual and collective, this individual and collective message, God has sent a savior. You know, uh, in that day and age, when you think about it, it was good news in a world full of bad news. It was a light in a time of great darkness. It was uh, a message of hope in a time of great despair. You know, in our, in our world, sometimes if you look around, sometimes those kind of things you can feel like, oh, there's so much bad news or, oh, you know, there's, it just seems so dark lately or, oh, you know, there's just so much despair going on. Um, but the, the, re- the realization is the gospel message is as true today as it was back then when those angels first shared it. There is good news that can bring great joy to all people, including me, including you and including our world. But there was a, there was a response uh, from these shepherds that I, I want to look at today. You know, if you continue in your Bible, Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Well, let's go and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, let's go see it for ourselves, they said. Then verse 16, They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, uh, the shepherds told everyone. They told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, or they wondered, or they, they marveled is how it's, it's translated. Uh, verse 19, but Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. She pondered them. Verse 20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, and they were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, because it was just as the angel had told them. And we've heard this story many, many times, but you know, I wonder if there's still things that we can learn from that very first Christmas. And when I, when I, when I read this, you know, there's, there's multiple elements of good news in it for me. 
you know, I think about this thought that God didn't choose the most likely or the most qualified people to share the good news of his arrival. He wasn't looking for like, hey, these are the people who have it all together. You know, they're the ones who get to share the good news. Because I, I think sometimes there's hindrances that we have in our own hearts and in our own lives or in our minds that come up that, that, that make us feel like there's a hindrance for us to, to live out the Great Commission, to share the good news of Jesus, uh, to share the good news of the gospel. But I look at it and realize that Jesus chose the unlikely. He chose the shepherds. You know, they, these were, that was not the most glamorous of jobs. You know, especially the night shift. These boys hadn't gone to, like, you know, the University of Jerusalem, graduated with honors, and now <laughs> here they are, you know, out, out in the fields. I mean, this was like the, this was like kind of one of those lower-end jobs. People look down on them. I mean, maybe it's like the, 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 the minimum wage, you know, entry, entry level. And, and uh, they, they probably felt like, you know, we're, we're kind of not even that important. We don't, we, we don't even get to be in the city at night you know everybody else is there they're all having a good time and here we are out, out in the shep- out in the in the field with the sheep uh, you know our thoughts may have been and maybe theirs was too that if God was going to choose somebody to share the good news he, he, pro- he probably would have chosen um, you know the Bible scholars or the priests or the pastors. And I think that's how many think today. Like, yeah, it's the, it's, it's the jobs of people like me to be the ones who go out and share the good news. Uh, that, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the background assumption in our mind is that that's who God uses. But if we learn from this very first story, that, that's not who God chose. He, he chose the unlikely. He, he chose the, the, the real, the normal people to go out and share. The, uh, the good news of his arrival. And we see that over and over and over throughout Scripture. As you look through it, you see it happen time and again. You see that when Jesus rose from the dead, the very first people that he uh, revealed that he had risen from the dead, he revealed that to, to women. And I, I, I think, you know, being a, um, uh, living in this day and age, we think of things differently than they did back then. But if you, if you go back and have a, a first century mindset, uh, women was a strange, that, that was a strange choice, just like the shepherds to have to share the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead. Women in the first century weren't considered credible witnesses, so whatever they said, it really didn't matter. You even see that in the disciples' response to them. They thought, these women are speaking nonsense. There's no way he rose from the dead. Uh, it's one of the things, too, that when you read through the gospel, that makes it even more believable. These guys weren't trying to fabricate a story and say, oh, well, the women told us. Because people reading in that day and age probably would have been like, well, if the women told you, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's probably not true. But they wrote just what happened. This is what happened. Jesus appeared to Mary and to uh, Salome and a few others, and they were the ones who ran back and said, he's alive. We've seen him. The good news is that he's risen from the dead. And, uh, and we see that, that, that Jesus, once again, chose people that were not necessarily likely. You, we would think that, you know, if he's going to spread his message that he's risen from the dead, he's going to choose like a great leader. Like, it'll be Pilate, you know, the one who had had him crucified. If Pilate saw it, oh my goodness, think of how many people he could have told. Or King Herod himself, you know, think of how many people he could have told. Or the high priest. I mean, everybody looks to this guy. It's Passover. There's millions of people in Jerusalem at this time. If the high priest had been the one who came out and said, oh, wow, you know, look what God has done. Man, wouldn't millions have followed? You know, today we think, oh, it must be like, you know, he'll use a great influencer or like he'd use somebody who's got a whole lot of followers on Facebook or Instagram. That, that'll be the one that, that God uses. But, but 
we see that he chose the women. You know, we see it even in, in the disciples that he chose. Like, this was like this mishmash group of guys. You know, you got some fishermen, the blue collar workers. You got a zealot who's passionate about Jerusalem. You got a traitor in, in Matthew who's a tax collector. Uh, and then you got a thief who's stealing out of the, stealing out of the money box. He's, he's got all these guys together. And you're like, man, what, what's this rabble-rouser group of guys going to do? How are they going to, um, how are they going to be the ones who, who, who not only spread the good news, like, can just even keep the church together? But we see that that is who, um, that's who Christ chose. And, and not only did they, you know, um, start the, the, the very first um, church, but they were the ones who went around the world and preached the gospel and preached the message that turned the world upside down. Uh, you know, we look at last week, we talked about how in Acts 4, when they were on trial, the, 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 the scholarly people looked at them down their nose. These are uneducated men. You know, these are uneducated <laughs> They, they didn't go to Bible school. They haven't done seminary. How dare they share these, these words? You know, I think sometimes that, that can be the things in our minds. Well, I don't know the Bible enough. You know, I, I, don't, know the, I don't know the gospel enough. I, haven't, I, haven't, I didn't go to Bible school. I don't know. Like, I'm not a pastor. And yet, these are the people that Jesus chose. He, he didn't choose religious leaders to start this relationship with Christ and to encourage others to be disciples as well. You know, uh, we read about a couple weeks ago the, about the... the the Paul writing about we're just the vessels that carry an incredible treasure. And Paul would, would write in 2 Corinthians 4, um, I believe it's verse 7, he writes, he writes that the reason why you know, we're just the vessel and he's the treasure is that the power may be of God and not of us. I think that's why God uses people like me and like you who maybe, you know, aren't, aren't the, the most educated, you know, the highest qualified. I mean, he uses them too, but that it, we aren't disqualified that we've been given the commission to go and share his good news. You know, it wasn't just the, you know, the, the shepherds. It wasn't just the women uh, at the tomb. It wasn't just the disciples in, in the book of Acts. It was also the, the new believers who became followers of Jesus as a result. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. The Corinthians was a gathering of, of new Jesus followers. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, uh, and uh, verse 25 to 29. If you have your Bible, you just follow along with us. It says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, we know it's the very power of God. <laughs> so he, he explains right away that, that people might think the message is foolish. But uh, he, says it's, he says what they don't realize is that for those who are being saved, they understand it to be the power of God. It might appear foolish, but it's powerful. And then verse 25, he says, This foolish plan of God, it's wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is actually stronger than the greatest of human strength. Yeah. And verse 26, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. He says, not only is, is the message appears to be foolish, but it's powerful. He's like, you thought you were weak and you, you, know, you weren't wealthy and you weren't, you weren't powerful. But he says, but that's how, that's how you were when God called you. And verse 27 says, actually, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. See, he, he makes them very aware of the fact that they, they are not wise, you know, they, and they would know it. That they weren't powerful, that they weren't mighty, that they weren't the greatest of scholars, but that it didn't matter because the power was of God and not of them. 
that they had, they had um, their calling was no less than, than his calling to, to be uh, a representative of Christ and a sharer of the good news. And as I look down that thing, I see that you and I, uh, we fall into the, that category as well. You know, as I think about the great commission that Jesus gave to the disciples, Mark writes it down in Mark 16, verse 15. He says, and Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Last week, we looked at the great commission where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. Um, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach those new disciples to obey everything I've commanded you. So in that, that idea of making more disciples, and just know I'm with you all the time. You're not on your own. You're not sent out to do this. This is a co-mission, you and I together. Uh, I am that treasure in the, in the earthen vessel. But he encourages them to, to walk that out. Not even encourages, it's like commands them to walk that out. But I, I think about you know the common denominator in all of these cases of people. There's a, there is a, there's a common denominator other than the fact that they were unlikely or unqualified. It was this thought, that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. The shepherds, they went for themselves to see uh, the, the baby at the manger. You know, the women had been to the tomb and saw it empty, and then they had seen a risen Savior. You know, the disciples had also seen their Savior risen from the dead. They, they knew that they knew. Paul had experienced a transformation in his life as a result of meeting Jesus. And we see that the believers in Corinth also realized that their lives had been changed because of the trust that they had put in Christ. It was that they had seen that change even in their own hearts and lives. And so they had experienced him for themselves. See, that, that's the, the main thing. Each and every single one of us is called first to go and see for ourselves, to respond to the gospel ourselves, to, to, to recognize that as we put our trust in him, he starts to do something in here. Something changes on the inside. I've heard it so many times, and I'd explain it, you know, they, it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult to put words to it, but it's like people often describe it as like, like, I felt like a weight was lifted off my shoulders when I put my faith in Christ. I felt like, you know, all the striving that I was trying to make my life matter or find purpose, I realized that once I had put my faith in him, that I I understood that I have purpose and I have value simply because of him. I realized that I was loved (laughs) and what I've been looking for everywhere, I I couldn't find, but 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 I know I'm loved. And something changes on the inside and continues to change us from the inside and that's the question before everything is, have you, have you experienced Christ for yourself? Have you experienced that good news of great joy for all people? Not just corporately, have you, have you experienced it individually? And if you have, then the, the goal is to simply share the simplicity of that good news with others. Um, that was all the qualification that the others needed. The disciples, you know, the shepherds, all the, the women, all they needed. That was the, the qualification is that they had been with Jesus. That's all the qualification you need. That's all the qualification I need. It isn't, you know, schooling and whatever else. It's simply that we've been with Jesus. And so, you know, the simplicity uh, that's in Christ, I think about, well, what do you share? You know, what do you say? But uh, I just want to, I want to look at a really, really famous um, uh, portion of scripture, uh, just as we kind of take take this um, from that to the to the end, and, and here it is that Jesus was having a, a conversation with this very learned Bible scholar named Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus came to him at night. He was a Pharisee. He was one of the, the Bible teachers. But he was, a, he was a wise man who hadn't been able to find salvation in his wisdom. He was a very devout man, but hadn't been able to find salvation in his religion. Uh, he was a, a very Jewish man, but hadn't been able to find salvation in his culture or in his heritage. And so here he comes to Jesus at night and begins to ask him these questions about the kingdom of God and and John, who is an eyewitness of these events, he writes down and records the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And you'll recognize it. You might not realize that it was this conversation, but you'll definitely recognize the wording in it. So here it is, John chapter 3, verse 14. says this, here's Jesus' words to Nicodemus. He's explaining to him, you know, the truth of the good news. And he says this, As Moses lifted up the, the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the man, Son of Man must be lifted up. Verse 15, So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But, you know, you just read those first few sentences. Four times Jesus (laughs) explains to Nicodemus, uh, God loves the world. Whoever believes in him has eternal life. God didn't come, you know, the Son of Man didn't come to judge the world at all, but that that the world might be saved through him. And there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That was his, his simple message. I came not to judge, but simply to save and give eternal life. And, and he explains it to him, for God so loved the world. And when he says that, he's, he's, he means the people of the world. God so loved the people of the world. And I think it's a really important thing for us to remember that our God, the God of this universe, he loves the people of the world. We live in a culture that's so so about everything they're against. Anti this, anti that, we're against this. You know, they gather and in, in, segregate into groups of who they're against or what they're against. Uh, and everything becomes so compartmentalized. You know, I saw even uh, and multiple times on um, Facebook pages where people have posted, you know, if you don't agree with me, then unfriend me right now because we can't be friends. And uh, I've seen friendships fall apart over just simple things. We, 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 don't, we disagree on this. And so because I'm against that, well, then I'm against you as well. And we, and we, we get so tempted to focus on what what we're against, uh, that I think we forget uh, about who we're for. We're so tempted to focus on what we're against that we forget who we're for and who the good news is for. You know, the thing about the good news is that it's for all people. God had come to do something for the world. You know, even people's picture of God, uh, I think, has been skewed by the church because they, they, they instantly see what God is against. And yet the gospel starts with what, with what God is for, with who God is for. You know, the, the thing that Jesus understood, and I think it's fair for us to understand, is that every single person that Jesus interacted with, he knew that they had a past, that they had a story, that they had a history, that they had a history worth condemning, that they had a lifestyle worth condemning, for sure. But it says he didn't come to condemn. Well, what, what does that mean? Who, who did he not come to condemn? Well, if you read through the Gospels and just say, like, show me, you know, Jesus, show me what the Father's like, here, here's what you see, that Jesus didn't come to condemn the Samaritan woman. Uh, she, you know, everybody else hated the Samaritans. And Jesus like, no, no, we don't, we don't hate those people. We, we love the Samaritans. You know, and then the Roman centurion comes to Jesus and, and uh, you know, the disciples, they, they have issues. This is a Roman. He's like, no, 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 we don't hate the Romans. We, we, love, we love the Romans, the blind the lame, 
You know, the lepers, the diseased people. No, we, we, don't, we don't hate the disease. We don't stay away from the diseased people. No, fellas, we love people. That's why we're here. We love the, the diseased people. You know, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus was, you know, no less loved than the, than the poor old widow who was putting her two mites into the, into the offering. You see Jesus connect with the desperate father who's just like begging for the life of his son. You see him um, with the persistent mother who comes in and asks uh, you know, for healing for her daughter. You see that the only child that was lying dead on a, um, on a funeral uh, procession that Jesus raises him from the dead. You know, we see that, that it was like the religious leader that Jesus loved. It was the tax collector that Jesus loved. It was, you know, in his parables, the faithful son and the prodigal son were the two that he both loved. We see that from our story today that it was for the shepherds that he came. We hear the stories of the disreputable woman, but he, he loved her. The roughneck fisherman, he loved her. Why? Because he came for the lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. What I realized about Jesus, he didn't disqualify people because of their history, but instead he invited them into uh, a new story. He didn't disqualify them because of their history. He didn't come to condemn them for that. But he invited them out of that into a new story. He didn't disqualify or dismiss their sin. That's not what he did. Um, But he simply invited them to leave that life behind and come follow him. He came to save. He came to save. I think that that's something that we need just a, a, a reminder of in this season is that it doesn't, none of the outer things matter. Jesus came to save the person that person on the inside, and that what things that want to divide and try and keep everybody apart, Jesus would bridge that gap. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter uh, anything uh, about their exterior or whatever. He's like, I I came to reach that person. I came to save them. And he's that, you know, for some, as you hear this, you're like, yeah, but but isn't like, isn't God against sin? Isn't he holy? And and, and that's that pesky word in that final verse we read in verse 18, the word, but. Let me just read it to you again. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but, but. You know, the the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, Jesus actually references, and it was at the very beginning, did you catch the part about the serpent on the pole? That That's a very famous Jewish story. Nicodemus knew it for sure, but maybe, you know, maybe we don't. Matthew actually, when he wrote it, assumed that all of his readers would be Jewish and they, they'd know that story, but maybe you don't. But there's a real important um, connection that Jesus makes, a comparison that he makes with that story that I think we need to understand. And so that's the, I just want to finish that. Uh, with, with, uh, with you today. John 3, verse 14, it says this. Here's the verse. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That, that story that he's referencing is found in Numbers chapter 21. Let me just read it to you because it's, 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 yeah, it's just five short verses. He says this, Numbers 21, verse 4. Then the people of Israel, they set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey because they had left Egypt. They were on the way to the promised land. It's taking too long. And it's, you know, it's like the kids in the backseat of the car on any long journey. What happens? Verse 5. They begin to speak against God and Moses. They begin to complain. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complain. There's nothing to eat here and there's nothing to drink. We're starving and we hate this. We hate this horrible manna. Uh, And so verse 6 says this, Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many were bitten and died. 
you know, maybe next time you're in the car, you know, saying that in the back thing, hey, don't let me send some, you know, don't make me come back to her. Don't let me send poisonous snakes back there. We would like, you know, that just that, that picturing of God like the parent. But, you know, in the Old Testament, there was, there was judgment on sin that would happen you know, instantly at times. And so here's what happened. Poisonous snakes begin to bite the people and the people realize that they've made a mistake. And so it says, then the people came to Moses and cried out, we've sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. And so Moses prayed for the people. Verse eight, then the Lord told them, Moses told Moses, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. Verse 9, so Moses made a snake out of bronze. He attached it to a pole, and then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at that bronze snake and be healed. You know, the, the people realized at, at a point in the story that they had sinned. There was that realization of, oh, wait a second, we've, we've wronged God, we've wronged, we've wronged Moses, uh, but, but we, we, we all, we're in need of a Savior right now. There's these poisonous snakes, but people are dying. We need, we need help. And, uh, you know, the truth... Uh, in the story is that God did send them a savior or a means of salvation. Uh, but there was something that they had to do as well. It wasn't just that God was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to save everybody. You know what? Oh, you prayed to me. Good. Let's just wipe it all out. There was a part that they had to play. There was this thing of choice that they still had. What did, what did he do? He said, Moses built, put this snake on a pole. If anybody looks at the snake, that's all they got to do. All they got to do is just look at that snake on the pole and they'd be healed. But I wonder, you know, maybe there's people there who thought, you know, had in their mind, you know, they had these thoughts, well, that's just dumb. You know, how, how can that bronze snake heal me? I'm not going to go look at no bronze snake. You know, for some, they, they, they um, maybe they thought, you know, what? I'm not doing that. I'm not going to waste time. I'm going to go find herbs or whatever in the, you know, in, out in nature. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find my own way of salvation you know maybe their pride was 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 too high i think well the scripture doesn't say that not in this in this account but we read the stories of guys like uh, naaman who had gone to uh, be healed and the word of the prophet had been to him go dip yourself in the river seven times he's like i'm not going in that dirty river we got clean rivers back where i am i'll go i'll go do my own salvation and what was the message to him you know, like if you if, if, if that had healed you, it already would have, you know, or if God had asked you to do something great and powerful and difficult, you would have done it. Why not just do this simple thing? Sometimes it's in that simplicity that we just totally miss anything. How, how can it be that simple? How can it be that simple? But it was that simple for them. All they had to do was look. Maybe there were some who were like, well, I don't deserve to be healed. You know, it was my own fault. I poked the snake and it bit me. And so I deserve what I got. So whether it was pride, unbelief, guilt, shame, who knows? All those things exist today, too, that try and keep people from simply, from simply responding to the good news. All these people had to do was look to salvation. That they had just had to look, simply look to that to that um, bronze serpent and they would be they'd be healed they'd be saved you know isaiah hundreds of years later would write out these words because jesus was explained to nicodemus this is a picture that that snake on the pole was a picture of something isaiah would later refer to it isaiah 45 verse 22 he he spoke the words of the lord he said let let all of the world look to me for salvation i am god and there is no other He's, you know, Isaiah actually reveals two things. One, that, that uh, all nations would look to God to be saved. And the second is that there is no other way. There is no other God. John uh, would, would write about another John, John the baptizer. In John chapter 1, verse 20, 29, 
where John was baptizing people and Jesus walked up along the, along the shore and John points out to his disciples, verse 29, he says, look, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He reminds them, just like, just like uh, the, uh, Moses had said, look to the serpent, uh, look to that snake on the pole, look to the salvation that God has provided. Isaiah was like saying to all the nations, look, look to God. He's the only one who can save you. John points to them in that day and age and says, look, there he is. There's Jesus. Look to him for salvation. And John 14, verse 6, Jesus uh, echoes these words when they ask him about what's the, what's the way to salvation? What's the way to heaven? We don't know how to get there. And Jesus tells him, John 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. <laughs> and you think, well, that word the, you know, maybe he's like, I am a way or I am a truth or I am a life. And, and many, many in our world would love to see, see, um, see it that way. But it, he, leaves no, he leaves no opportunity for that. Not only does he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to salvation. There is no other way to heaven. None, period. (laughs) The way, the truth, the life is in one person, Jesus. You know, if there was tons of ways to get to God, then Jesus didn't have to come and die. (laughs) He didn't have to come pay for our sin, but the fact that he did proves that these words are true. There's only one way. And whether people want to hear that whether people like that whether they agree with it it doesn't matter there is only one way and today i would encourage us to consider that and think about that do we realize there's just there is just one way and have i looked to the one have i looked to the one you know back to that conversation that jesus had with nicodemus you know this is what he was saying to him he's like nicodemus just like that serpent was put up on the pole i'm going to be lifted up on a pole i'm going to be lifted up on a cross and i'm going to draw all men to myself you know whoever looks to me is going to be saved you know anyone who he he says anyone who believes in me and that, that that word is like puts their trust in anyone who looks to me puts their trust in me believes in me and he says to nicodemus i didn't come to judge the world I came here in that same thing. I came to save. I came to save, but. And I think if we stopped here, we'd miss an incredibly important part of the good news. And the good news is extra good because of this part. The but. That, there, that, that he goes on to say in John 3, verse 18, he says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, in, in Jesus he's speaking. He says, but anyone who does not Anyone who chooses not to believe has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son, for not looking to salvation, for saying, I don't don't want that. There's a judgment for that. And and that's what makes the salvation worth more. If we weren't saved from anything, it's like, oh, whoop-dee-ding, you know? It's like walking down the sidewalk and somebody runs up to you and throws you on the ground. It's like, oh, I saved your life. You know, that little chickadee walking by was about to run you over. You'd be like, thanks for nothing. The chickadee, I was in no danger of the chickadee. But if you were walking down the middle of the road, you got your headphones on, you didn't realize you were on the middle of a road and a transport truck is coming behind you and somebody runs and tackles you and takes you, takes you uh, out on, into, into the ditch and saves your life and says, man, you didn't see it, but that transport truck just about took you out. You'd be like, you'd take that person out for dinner. You know, it'd be like this, this totally different response. Why? Because you re- realize what you were saved from. 
It says in verse 19, the judgment is based on this fact that God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. The truth is there, there is a judgment coming for all men and the judgment is on the evil deeds. That, the, the problem is if we're still the carriers of the evil deeds, that righteous judgment against evil becomes a righteous judgment against us. Against us. It's not unrighteous to judge, um, to, to, to judge sin. It's not unrighteous for somebody to judge evil. It's, it's the right thing to do and, and we fully deserve it. We fully deserve it and yet... He came and said, if you put your trust in me, if you look to me, I'll I'll save you from having to go through that judgment. And as I thought about this and just kind of final thoughts to think about, I pictured like, you know, the aftermath of a cruise ship sinking. You know, a cruise ship goes down and and there's all kinds of people in the water. And then all of a sudden a lifeboat begins to like motor its way up to to different people treading water and, uh, you know, offering them the opportunity to come into the lifeboat. I thought, wouldn't it be strange if people's responses were things like, you know what, no, no thanks. Um, I, don't, I don't really like the other people in the boat, so no, no, I, I don't. And you know how often have we heard, oh, you know what, those Christians, you know, those Christians have whatever, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't need Christ. I've seen what Christians do. The thing is that Christ is calling people to him, not based on what Christians do, you know, or that thought of, you know, I don't like what that, I don't like what that, the the, the people in the boat believe about X, Y, and Z. You know, I want to believe my own things about that. And so, you know, I'll continue treading, treading water or maybe, you know what? No, no, thanks. I'm fine. I like swimming, you know, and sharks are my favorite animal and, and, and sloughing it off or mocking it off or, you know, the thought, no, thanks. You know, lifeboats are for the weak. I don't need a crutch or no thanks. You know, I've got my own plank that I'm holding on to here. I'm good. You know, in our hearts, we would just look at that and realize, you know, that that would seem foolish. And yet that's the gift of choice that people have that choice. But they only, you know, they really only have that choice if the lifeboat motors up to them and says, hey, you know, (laughs) do you need a hand? Hey, we're here to help. Hey, you know, there is salvation from the situation that you're in. And so it's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Paul said to the Romans, how are they going to hear if there's, you know, if nobody goes out and shares the good news with them? And so today, Jesus follower, if you've experienced him, He's qualified you and called you to go and share the good news. In a a world of darkness, the light shines brighter. When there's despair, man, the the hope is is so much, so much better. And the thing is, you, you, you don't have to make somebody do anything. It's just simply giving them the opportunity to look, to look to the Savior of the world. Because anybody, anybody can look to him if they've been given the opportunity to do so. You know, the truth is that we all needed a Savior. The truth is that there is a Savior who came to save us. And the truth is that our first act of faith and trust and looking to Him is actually our first act of obedience to Him as well. To say, yeah, God, I accept your salvation for me. If you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower and you've watched all the way through to this point, can I just say that you're the person that we're talking about today? That, that God loves you, your past, your history. He knows it, but it doesn't disqualify you. He's just simply inviting you to say, hey, I'll give you a second chance. If you're willing to leave that behind and come follow me, if you're done with the darkness and you want to walk in the light, then you just need to look to me. 
he'll save you. He will save you. You know, it's, it's interesting that, that those words just seem to resonate in hearts. That's the power of the gospel, and I believe it's doing that right now. And again, it's one of those things that I can't even take credit for because it's simply him. He's the one who saved me. He's the one who could save you. He's the one who spoke to me and called my name, and I believe he's speaking to you and calling yours as well. How are you going to respond? Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of this, this day and this time. Lord, thank you for your word that just reveals your truth. Thank you for the truth of the good news. You came for us. You really came for us. Thank you for rescuing us, for giving us uh, peace, for giving us uh, hope, for loving us. You, you're truly amazing. You're truly amazing. Father, I pray for those who are just hearing these words and it's stirring up things in their heart, whether your spirit is stirring up that, that boldness or that necessity to go and share the good news. God, would you equip them and give them courage to walk that out this week? And for those, Father, who just feel that need for a Savior, that as they just simply put their trust in you, just simply look to you, that they would see the simplicity of the good news but experience you for themselves. Father, we commit this day to you, this season to you. No matter what happens around us, we're grateful that we walk with you. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, that you are for us. And as we uh, live the rest of this, this day, this week, this month, this year, whatever days you give us, we're committed to living them for you. May you be glorified, Jesus. May you be honored. And may you be worshipped as you truly deserve. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, hopefully uh, this has been helpful for you today. And I, and, and I just encourage you to take some time. Maybe you're watching this together in a house church or with some friends or, or uh, maybe your family. But I would encourage you to find somebody else who's seen this and to go over these questions with them together. Maybe that's what you're going to do, you know, next week or the week after. You know, there's no online service, but you're going to gather together and just go over some of the questions from previous weeks. Things like this. What jumped out at you from today's talk? What are some things that you got to think about? Second, have you ever felt unqualified to share the good news? And why or why not? And if it was any of the things mentioned today, realize that if you've been with him, you're qualified. And then what do you think detracts from the simplicity that's in Christ today? What do you, what do you think has, has gotten us away from just the simplicity of the good news? And then finally, what things do you think um, you're against? Or what things, how, say this, what, what things that you're against have hindered what or who you are for? What things are, have you been against that have, have maybe hindered who or what you're for? And I encourage you to just have some of these conversations, pray with one another, allow Holy Spirit to stir up uh, what He desires to do in your heart. And uh, yeah, man, I look forward to uh, seeing you guys again in the, in, uh, in the new year. And until then, have a fantastic Christmas. Uh, continue to be the light that shines, to offer hope to the world, and uh, to be the church. Man, there's, there's no, no time like the present where our world has needed the good news that comes through the church. So we will uh, see you soon. Until then, know that I love you, praying for you, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to hearing what he does through your lives, whether that's here or on the other side uh, of, this, uh, uh, of this life in eternity. But uh, grateful. We'll chat soon. See you.